Will you pray with me? O God, take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire for love of you. For if we are with you, nothing else matters. And if we are not with you, nothing else matters. Amen. As we go through this month of October, we look at the Reformation and this theme of come together. I think it's important for us to look at our own wonderful traditions and those who came together to form the United Church of Christ. You see, we formed out of four radically different communities of faith. The German Evangelical Church, which was Lutheran and Pietist. The German Reformed Church, which was Calvinist. The Congregational Church, which came from the New England Puritans, as well as the Christian Connection, which hoped for unity based on the fact that Christ was the only head of the church. These traditions have given us a gift of diverse and a progressive theology which pulls from many confessions and creeds. These creeds and confessions are not to be treated as tests of our faith, but rather as testimonies. One of the most beautiful, the one that is often quoted in circles within the UCC, but is the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written in hopes of helping Christians in Heidelberg and the post-Reformation church find unity in Christ. They were divided between Lutheranism and Calvinism, and the prince wanted a statement of faith that could bring the whole city, all of its churches, into one. That unity was not fulfilled in Heidelberg, but yet this catechism is a great treasure of our faith, and its goal of unity is clearly present in the mess and God and the message of God's irresistible grace is seen throughout it. The first question is one that is the most beloved out of this catechism. Now I must clarify this with some fair warning. The language of this question is of its time in a medieval church in a post-Reformation world, yet it still speaks great truth to us today. The first question is this. What is your comfort in life and in death? And those who were learning and studying this catechism were taught to respond, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair shall fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things, all things must work together for my salvation, because I belong to him in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he assures me of my eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now to live for him. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is hope. This seems to be the clear point of both the letter to the Ephesians as well as the Heidelberg Catechism. Like our current climate in the United States, both the church in Ephesus and the post-Reformation church in Heidelberg were suffering from great disunity. They didn't know who they were and they didn't know whose they were. Both communities were divided by culture, religion, political fractions. They were divided by who was holy enough and who worshipped the right way. Communities and families were turning against each other. 
Does this sound familiar? This is where Paul's theology and the theology of the Reformation are needed now more than ever. Our unity is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. And in, in the end, it's all about Christ. Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. It is through God in Christ Jesus where, we are, where our true identity lies. And this is all that really matters. This may seem strange to us to be a radical thing five centuries after the Reformation and so long after the time of Christ. But the idea that our only hope in life and in death was Jesus Christ truly was radical. You see, especially in the pre-Reformation church, like in Roman society, people were deeply divided. Clericalism, class, and race were in race, racial divisions ran rampant. The church was deeply concerned with who was holy, as well as who could pay for their own righteousness, and who was worth more to Jesus. It was a world of great inequality. And the reformers, like Paul, remind us that we are all precious and dwell in God's grace, and that God has unending life, love for us. Many scholars find Ephesians to be unique. It starts with a blessing. Rather than a mere greeting of peace and grace, Paul blesses the church in Ephesus and speaks truth to who they were. According to Paul, God has loved us, called us and sought us, blessed us even before the foundation of the world. And that is radical love. This is one that should transform us in how we live in the world. We should be transformed by this knowledge that we are not holy because of what we do, but because God loved us and created us. It is merely in that creation and that love from the beginning of time and this gift that we are adopted by Christ into the family of God. The image of God who adopts us is one that would have been interesting and challenging to the first hearers. According to scholars such as Lutheran theologian and preacher, Caroline Lewis, children of birth in Roman society weren't worth very much. Their father could freely whip them, throw them out, kill them, do whatever he wanted. And yet, children who were adopted were seen as unique and blessed and special. Children were adopted often from lower classes so that there could, a wealthy family could secure an heir. And with that adoption, they were brought in All previous debts, previous family history, previous offenses were forgiven by the state and they were seen as full members of that family. This was a way in which children were treasured in the first world. Adopted children were precious. We certainly see that alive in our world today, especially of those of us who are in the queer community who see an adoption and know that these that gay and lesbian and other queer folks have worked so hard to adopt that child and many doors were closed in their face before they could bring that beloved one into their home. I've watched recently at St. John's Robinson as one of the longtime members' daughters has adopted a baby. And though that child is in Houston, that baby is so beloved. Every week they sit around asking, what's Harper Kate up to? Any new pictures or videos, they delight in her. 
And while adoption is not always a blessing, I think it's a beautiful image that God delights in us. And shouldn't that be the delight and the reality for each and every one of us? As John Calvin says, we are players on a stage for God's delight. But when I envision this delight, I don't think of a a critic who watches Shakespeare or some other highbrow production, but rather how a parent delights in a kindergartner's Thanksgiving play. There's no room for judgment. There's no room to judge who came on in the right time. There's only pleasure and delight. God's love for us is like that Johnny Cash and June Carter kind of love. God looks at us the way Nancy Reagan used to look at her husband with unending love and admiration. This unending love also invites us to share in Christ's very life. For Christ is our head and we are the body. We are not alone and we are not ours alone. But we are invited to share in the work of Christ. This work of grace is about every single one of us. We don't need a stole or a collar to minister or matter to God. But it is in Christ that we find our identity, our ministry, and our work. For God called us and loved us since the beginning of time to be exactly where we are and who we are. The love of God in Christ Jesus is all that really matters. It transforms us, it empowers us, and gifts us with the ability to do even greater things than Christ did in his earthly ministry by the seal of the Holy Spirit. Because we share in that life and nature of Jesus. So why don't we live like it? What would change if we lived as if we had been transformed by hope and love? Too many people have been hurt by the church, and they were never told they were loved by God. They were never told that they were children, loved and blessed in Jesus. And they were sold a theology that was based on rules and false holiness. They were denied the fullness of love in their humanity. We also have churches filled with clergy who have sold out God's love for power and have given people fear instead of life and death. So what if, what if we all lived, did a better job of living in the knowledge of God's immeasurable love and grace? In my mind, knowing that God loves us no matter what, and that we are sharing the promises, we can truly be transformed. It makes us less judgmental. Because in the end, loving like Jesus gives us a desire to seek equality and unity. And nothing in life or death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 8. It also allows us to live boldly. For queer people and our allies in particular, the knowing that we are loved and beloved by Jesus has allowed us to continue in faithfully following him. And has allowed churches like the United Church of Christ to live boldly into our call to welcome all in him no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey and it invites us and calls us to take bold stands of justice for oppressed persons trusting that all things are truly blessed and under Christ's feet in response to the recent movie The Eyes of Tammy Faye it seems that terribly human Tammy Faye Baker has had a posthumous moment of celebrity. One of the pinnacle moments of that film 
is when Tammy invited the Reverend Steve Peters, an MCC minister and AIDS patient, to be on the PTL club. He had, he had to be brought in on video, we've later learned, because the crew refused to be in the same room with a person who had AIDS. This was a world where both religious and secular people were fearful of AIDS patients. President Reagan never even mentioned the epidemic. And yet, here is this over-the-top and imperfect Pentecostal minister who took time to see this man's dignity. She told her audience not to disown their gay children and cleared up myths about AIDS. And at the end of the interview, she turned to her audience and said, How sad it is. We who are Christians, who are called to be the salt of the earth, who are supposed to be able to love everyone, are afraid so badly of AIDS patients that we can't even go up and put our arm around them and tell them that we care. Folks, this is a woman who, though she was deeply flawed and deeply human, understood her hope was in Jesus. And in Christ's grace, there was room for everyone. She also carried this trust of God's endless goodness even to her untimely death from cancer. We need more Jesus-filled, Tammy Faye kind of people, both fully human and broken and vulnerable who made great mistakes, yet they live in that kind of hope and love at all times and in all places, both with and because of their humanity. This world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love, William Sloan Coffin says. And I'm certain we don't have to look far to see that the world certainly needs hope and grace. So what can we do with the hope that we have found in Jesus? Maybe it is even the kind maybe it is even the kind of hope that in the face of sickness, death and loss, we underst- though we don't understand why we're going through this, we can live in the knowledge that God holds our tears and that even in these moments of tragedy, God still delights in us. This is the kind of hope that should encourage our churches to live boldly. Who hasn't yet heard the good news that they are beloved, that they are a child of God, and that God adopts and delights in them? Surely we know someone who needs this hope. Surely there is some next step for new church and other churches who can, do, who can go boldly seeking justice. We are called to, be, to help people to come together merely by the fact that they were created, blessed, honored, and deeply loved by God in adoption in Christ. Even the little hairs on our heads matter to God. Amen.